You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Brown with Strong Towns. Thank you for tuning in this week. You know, uh, last week uh, I talked a little bit about the economy from my hotel room in Vancouver, and I appreciate all the kind feedback. You guys have been very nice. Um, it was one of those things that I was obsessing about at the time, and still am. And, and this podcast has been a lot about what I <laughs> tend to obsess about, and so. I tuck my kids into bed. It's it's Wednesday night. This podcast will come out Thursday. And I headed into the office to record this, really not knowing what I was going to talk about. And I, and I, I was thinking, what what am I obsessing about? And I'm, I'm really obsessing about three things in life. The first one is the economy, like I talked about last week. I mean, we have the stock market crashing, right? And for... Someone like me who thinks that our economy is just one huge deformation and that we've created this, you know, cosmic bubble in equities and in bonds. And I've just kind of been waiting for it to unravel as like the first step in a long process of adjustment, which Jim Kunzler calls the long emergency, right? But I realized that, <laughs> that even though, you know, I'm obsessing over this, uh, th- th- there's a lot of confirmation bias here, right? We, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, the climate change uh, advocate or skeptic or whatever who, you know, has the really cold day in the winter and says, see, uh, the, you know, there's no global warming or has the really hot day in January and says, see, you know, global warming and, and you know, looks at whatever trends go their way as confirmation of their worldview and whatever trends go the other as just the anomaly, right? I, I realize that I am that person right now when it comes to the economy. And so last week was probably as thoughtful as I can get uh, and not be considered hysterical. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep my hysterics to myself <laughs> and we'll, we'll see what happens uh, as things unfold. Obviously I don't believe the stock market represents the real economy, but I, I think it represents the facade of the economy, the, the cartoon economy that economists want us to believe is a real economy. So we'll see what happens as this cartoon starts to blur and change. The The second thing I've been obsessing about, and obsessing is maybe the wrong word because it it's, feels more like dread than obsession, uh, is the election cycle. Um, I... If you go back, you know, if you go back 20 years, I'm 42 today, you go back 20 years, I, I'm not sure many like really thoughtful people go through college without getting enmeshed in politics, right? You, 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 you talk about it, you care about it. That, that's what a college campus is. It's this time to have debates. And I was certainly part of that. You, you'll find it not shocking at all that I would write lots of letters to the editor to the school newspaper and participate in political debates. And, you know, I, I, I like to mix it up. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, as time went on, I stayed kind of involved. Uh, I would attend we, in Minnesota or a caucus state. So we have these kind of crazy political things we do around here. And, and I, I would participate in that. It was a lot of fun. 
uh, I started doing a radio show back in uh, when there's like 2000 or 2001, some somewhere in that range. Uh, I'd written some commentaries that got picked up in the local paper and a radio station asked me to come in and read them on the air. And we just started having a conversation and they said, wow, you are someone we'd like to put on the air. Would you consider doing this politics show? And I've been doing a segment called Making Sausage for the last like 15 years, roughly. Um, once a week, we do a little pod, a, a little recording on Minnesota politics. Sometimes we talk national, but mostly we talk about Minnesota political issues. And the producer of that show actually just retired, and I'm pondering kind of giving it up myself because the passion that I had for this topic 15 years ago has now turned into, as I said a minute ago, dread. I dread election season. And I just, I, I, I feel all this apprehension about it because I, I feel like the world just becomes um, stupid. I feel like we, we as Americans uh, wind up kind of dumbing ourselves down, at least our national dialogue to a degree that maybe it goes on all the time, but I'm able to ignore it for the most part. I, you, you know, years ago, got rid of the TV uh, I don't watch cable news, period. Um, I went through a two-year span there where I forced myself to watch CNBC every day. In fact, I had a subscription to it here at the office because I didn't have cable at home. And I would I would watch it every day because I, I felt like I needed to know the language. I felt like I needed to know the, the nuance of the conversation and the back and forth. I got that. I, I can talk. I could go on CNBC today and talk coherently like them. <laughs> coherently being a, a reflection of my English grammar, not a reflection of the, the topic matter, because I don't think much of what goes on on CNBC is coherent. Nonetheless, I don't watch cable news. Uh, I've, I've caught one of the debates because I was traveling and, and it was on in my hotel room and I watched it, but I, I've not been any part of this election season thus far. And, and I'm, I'm just dreading it because there is no candidate in this race that reflects my views. There's there's no one that I, uh, you know, in in the depth of either party. I mean, you can go through the whole long litany of candidates and some come close in, in some issues. But for the most part, there's nobody and there's nobody has a shot of winning anything that I look and say, this guy really represents or this woman. Sorry. You know, th this candidate really represents me. And what I care about and what I think is most important. They, they're basically every candidate that I have heard to any degree represents some crazy distortion of reality. And, you know, unlike a courtroom where you get a crazy distortion of reality on one side and a crazy distortion of the reality on the other side, and then there's a, a chance to discern and maybe find some justice in election season, you just get crazy on both sides. And I've become. Uh, you know, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter is one of these people who, when she has the, um, the, the tag on the back of her shirt, just drives her nuts. We have to rip out all the tags in her shirts, right? Um, when you're driving the car and the temperature gets too hot or it gets too cold, uh, she starts to kind of wig out a little bit. Like I, you know, get all tense and uptight and crabby. And that's what elections do to me now. That's what election cycles do to me. And whether it's the yeah, – I might take a month or two off from Facebook here at some point because, it, you know, the, the, the campaigns and the different advocacy organizations and hello, you know, I'm one of them, but we don't engage in the political part. 
But, you know, they've, they've figured out how to position messages in, in all these places where you're at. And then, of course, you know, the thing on Facebook is people who you normally think of as intelligent start to pick these up and pass them around. And, and pretty soon you just have stupid everywhere. And I struggle with it. I struggle with it because I I kind of take it personally. Um, I don't necessarily think that I need to change people's mind. Um, maybe maybe 20 years ago I did, but I'm I'm past that today when it comes to politics, because like I said, I, I don't care about either side. But I found myself like obsessing or at least having an obsession of dread that, you know, the closer we get to November, the, the dumber the world gets. And I, I, there's a part of me that's just like looking forward to 2017 so, so we can just move on to like getting it on, right? Let's just do something. I'm not going to talk about politics either. The, the, the third thing that I've been obsessing about is strong towns the organization and I, I differentiate the organization from the, the media stuff that what we do, this is how the place runs. And of course I am, you know, obviously intimately involved in that, but this weekend we've got our board meeting. Uh, I, you know, strong downs is a nonprofit organization, right? Uh, for those of you that don't know nonprofit governance and, and how things work. Let me just give you a little primer. By the way, I did not know back when I found myself running a nonprofit what it entailed. Uh, literally, a, a couple of friends of mine said, you got a really great blog. You should do something with this. And I said, well, you know, okay. And I said, you should have a nonprofit. And I said, well, I don't really like nonprofits. Uh, I don't see them getting a lot of stuff done. Uh, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. Thank you. And they said, well, I tell you what, we'll we'll fill out the paperwork. You just keep writing. And a year later, I found myself with a 501c3. And literally a few months later, uh, a foundation stepped up and said, well, we really want you to do something with this. Here's three years of, of part-time startup money for you to figure out what that is. And um, here we are today, right? So I've got a board meeting. And the way nonprofits work is that – uh, you, you don't, uh, contrary to what it says, you, you don't not make a profit, right? You, you, you do make a profit. In fact, you have to make a profit in the sense that you have to have more revenue, uh, than, than expenses, or you are not going to be a nonprofit very long. You're not going to be around very long, right? And so you do make a profit in the sense that you have to make money. Um, but, uh, unlike a for-profit business, that money is not like distributed to shareholders or owners. There are no owners of a nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit is governed by a board of directors, and the board of directors is not me. They are, in a very strict sense, my boss. They are the ones who essentially decide you know, who, if I'm going to work for the nonprofit or not, uh, what we're going to do, what our mission is going to be, what our strategic plan is going to be, whether I'm doing a good job or not. This is not the place that I thought I was going to be in <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, I'm kind of an, an entrepreneurial independent kind of person. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I, I find myself today with this nonprofit board and I'm, I'm obsessing about our meeting coming up. Right. Meetings, with nonprofits become a big deal because a lot happens and a lot that's very important in shaping the direction of the organization happens at these meetings. One of our board members, um, 
and I'll leave his name out of it just out of respect for him, uh, suggested that maybe someday I should write a book about our experience running this nonprofit because he, he said we're, we're rather novel in the nonprofit space. And I I accept that. I guess I don't know because I, I have not dealt for a long time in the nonprofit space and I, I've actually not taken a lot of um, – not a lot of time and not a lot of effort to find out how other nonprofits run. Uh, I ran a business, uh, a planning company, actually, for a dozen years before I started this organization. And I kind of just ran it in much the same way. We were kind of forward-leaning um, struggled because we were telling cities things they didn't necessarily want to hear and deal with. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, some of the practices that we developed, there's some of the ways of of doing business have just carried over into this enterprise. And and I've, I've come to learn that that makes us a little bit different. I accept that. I accept that. I think it's premature to talk about writing a book because we still have a lot to prove uh, if we're going to uh, to really matter. But, uh, you know, I, I get it that we might be a, a good case study. And certainly we are different than I think most nonprofits running today, not only in how we operate day to day, how we go about doing things, but but also what we're trying to accomplish and the way we're going about it. I want to as a as a way to kind of frame this, give you a sense of what we've gone through over the last year and a half as an organization in terms of the board. Strong Towns has had a, a number of boards, right? Our very first board was the two guys who helped me start this, a, a, a guy named John Commerce and a guy named Ben Olson. If you are a longtime podcast listener, you can go back to your very original podcast and they were the three of us. Um, that broke down pretty quick because logistically with three busy people, it was pretty hard to pull off on a regular basis. But that they, those were the, the two guys that helped start this. They actually um, kind of pushed me to do it and were very instrumental in, in getting everything going. Uh, our first board was the two of them and myself, which you can actually do when there's no money. <laughs> as soon as someone starts to get paid, uh, you, you've, you've got to have at least three independent board members. And so – after we got the initial grant, uh, things started to change, and, and we brought on some board members to help us meet the kind of minimum fiduciary responsibilities we had. And that board kind of changed and grew over time as different people joined the staff, different people started to uh, have some income from the nonprofit, you know, mostly in, in part-time and temporary roles, people switched in and out. And, and so we, we wound up with a board of Minnesotans, people here locally, who were essentially helping us uh, meet, the, meet, meet the minimum responsibilities. You know, do you have a budget? Um, are you, you know, fiscally solvent? Uh, are you, do you have a mission and are you working responsibly towards fulfilling that mission? Uh, those kind of things are the the minimum kind of things that a board has to do, and and that that's what we set up. We would meet a couple times a year. It, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, I won't say it was completely a formality because it, it wasn't, but compared to what we're doing now, it was largely you know uh, that kind of two three hour formality kind of thing. We found. Uh, uh, boy, a couple of years ago, and I'm really going to get into last year and a half, but a couple of years ago, we we, we started to realize, and, and I was a, a big part of this, started to understand that we needed something more, right? 
uh, I, I won't say we outgrew our board, but that that might be a, a way to to say it. We we're certainly as a, at a staff level or as an organization level. Myself, uh, other people who were working here, um, the the many many volunteers and members and and contributors were moving really really fast, and things were changing really really quickly. And, you know, our old board was still kind of in a, a fiduciary capacity, a very like limited kind of capacity. And, and you know, there's a there's an organizational uh, kind of reality that when you're not doing the little the big things, you know, when you're not when you're not focused on the big things and you're not tackling the big things, uh, you either tend to do nothing or you tend to do small things. And what sometimes our, our meetings would kind of devolve into is a, a lot of the small things, right? You know, what what was that blog post you wrote three weeks ago? And, you know, the, the second paragraph, we weren't really sure about the wording you used there. You know, little things, right? As opposed to, to big things. Around the time of the National Gathering, which was September of 2014, uh, we w- went through a board transition and I'll spare you all the details, but essentially the old board uh, that was all Minnesotans, all kind of locally based, very fiduciary and, and custodial uh, made way for uh, uh, the opportunity to bring in some new people. And we were able to bring in people from three, three people from around the country. And I, I think, you know, it would be very accurate uh, to say that these are three people that uh, I'm close to and are, are good friends of mine and people who I, I have a lot of respect. They're also people who really grasp what we could do and could accomplish and saw pretty clearly on a national level the opportunities we had as an organization to make a, a real big difference. They they were also people that I, I knew would challenge me because they had been challenging me for years. These are people that I had been asking advice from and had been giving me, you know, d- difficult uh, feedback for a, a long time. I, I trusted them to be honest with me and to push me. And I also trusted that they were going to work hard, right? They were going to keep up. They were going to focus on big things and they were going to apply the, the time and energy it would need to, to keep up with what we were doing. And to be able to focus on those big things and be able to think big and, and dream big. That board, we had our first meeting in December of 2014. So a, a year and a couple months ago in New York City. And I, I'm not sure what I was really expecting at the time. Uh, I, I hadn't, you know, my position in the organization at that point was mostly content creation and then, you know, going and do speaking roles. And then I kind of had a... a a big picture kind of input, but I, I wasn't like the day-to-day manager of, of things the way that I've been doing here the last few months. But the meeting kicked off and everybody turned to me and said, what do you want to do? <laughs> um, you know, not, not during the meeting, but you know, what, what do you want to do? Like, what is your vision for the organization? And I was a little taken aback, not because I didn't have ideas, um, but because, you know, we really hadn't been in a situation where we we talked about that much. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? I had been very focused on, well, here's the next place I'm going to speak. Here's the next report I want to write. Here's the next series of blog posts that I think are important. It was more of like an intellectual exercise for me. Like I was still, how do I figure this stuff out and, and, and how do I communicate it in the best possible way? Very much like put one foot in front of the other 
there and, and move ahead. And these gentlemen, uh, these three guys who are on our board, uh, turned to me and said, you know, wh- wh- what do you want to do? Like, what's the big, pick? like, what is your big plan? And quite frankly, I didn't have one. I, I didn't have one, right? I had a lot of programs, a lot of things I wanted to try, a lot of things that I thought were important. Um, but every time I would propose one, the, the, these, these guys would come back to me and say, why? Why, you know, why do you want to do this? Like, why this? Why is this the most important thing? And I, I left that meeting a, a little bit, um, I won't say confused. I, I certainly had focus coming out of there, and I certainly knew the things that we needed to get done. I mean, the, the, the guidelines they gave me was go back, focus on building the movement, focus on making co- uh, you know connections, uh, focus on uh, getting as many people you know connected to us and involved with us and, and having good two-way communication with us as we can. And let's meet back in June and, and talk more strategically. But I have to say, I, I left that meeting feeling a little um, silly, right? Uh, here, you know, I've been working for years in this organization. I'm a planner. I'm a strategic thinker. I had all kinds of ideas of what I wanted to do. I had all kinds of notions of how I wanted to do it. But I, I really hadn't done the hard work mentally. Uh, and I hadn't had a board. I hadn't had people around me who would kind of push me until these guys uh, to actually think through, you know, as an as an organization, what are we trying to do? And it's funny because I, I would have people, you know, prior to this who would ask me, like, what, what are you guys trying to do? And I'd say, well, we're we're trying to change the world. You know, we're tr- <laughs> we're trying to build strong towns. We're trying to make the world a better place. Um, and it was, you know, it was very clear to me the outcomes that I wanted. But what wasn't clear to me was how a guy with a blog was going to accomplish a darn thing. And and the, the greatness of having a good board, you know, a, a really good board that is going to challenge you in this way is they kind of laid bare the fact that while I had big dreams, I really had no, no clue of how I was going to execute them in a manner that was kind of consistent with the resources we had and the, the capabilities we had. So I spent a few months in 2015 working on this stuff, right? And and I read a ton of books and uh, I, I tried to learn as much as I could about sharing our message and doing that part of it better. You know, more, more than just writing good content, but how do you take good content and, and, and do something with it? How do you give it legs? How do you make things, you know, in, in the... In the vernacular, how do you make them sticky, right? How do you make how do you, how do you give something high velocity and make it really sticky? And I mean, I had read books on that. I, I figured that out. But in in a digital age, it's it's quite a bit different. And I started studying what other people were doing, what other websites were doing, what other organizations were doing. I started just trying to get as much knowledge as I could. We got together in June, and June was kind of started out as one of these back to basics kind of meeting, right? Like what's our mission? Who are we about? What are we good at? What are we trying to do? And the culmination of this meeting, and and I have to tell you, it was one of the greatest uh, epiphany moments of my life. Um, it, It really was one of these things where the skies opened up the sun shined down and I just felt liberated from a, a deep, deep, long struggle Here's what we did. We took uh, the list of programs that we had talked about, everything we had ever talked about doing. And I I would go through this list because some of them are really funny, actually, Uh, especially now we look back and say, did we really talk about doing that? Um, 
but some of the more benign things, you know, we, we, we did in years past, we did consulting work. I mean, cities would call us and say, we, here's a problem we've got. Would you come help us? And we said, of course. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to do that. Um, we wrote uh, a lot of papers and we, you know, did research projects and, um, you know, we, we would do – we tried a whole lot of different things in, in the early days. We were just trying to figure things out, right? Like, yeah, we can do that. Um, we, we used to have this thing called – and some of you longtime people have been here a, a while. Uh, remember the Strong Towns University. Um, the Strong Towns University was this thing that, that I came up with where we wanted to basically create these short video content things um, – uh, there's the there's a guy with the online school, and I'm, I, all of you are screaming it right now at your radio, uh, or you know I, I I can't remember what it is, but the guy has been massively massively successful with the short little courses about everything. We kind of wanted to do something like that, but about strong towns types of things, right? Help people think in a strong towns way. Some of those videos still exist, and they get passed around every now and then. They're some of them are okay. <laughs> but you know it was it was it was labor intensive it wasn't exactly what we were best at i'm not really a, a behind the camera kind of guy we didn't know how to do lighting we didn't know how to do audio it it was it was pretty brutal in many ways but you know we, we, one of the things we wanted to do because people asked us to do it was to do that so so we did well we took all of these programs we took everything that we had ever thought about doing and we put each one on a separate post-it note. This is going to sound really simple, especially when I just described it as like the greatest epiphany I ever had. But hang with me here. So we put them on post-it notes and we just put them on the wall. And then Andrew Burleson, our board chair, who's just a, a brilliant, brilliant guy, said, "Here, I know what we need to do. Watch this. And he took the post-it notes one at a time and he said, how good are we at doing this? Is this easy to do or is this difficult to do? When we look at the resources we have, the, the, the capacities we have, the talents and skills that we have as an organization, is this something we do well or not? And then he would he put it up on the board. And then he'd take the next post-it note and he'd say, all right, is this easier or harder than the, the first thing I put up here? And, and do we do this better or worse than this thing up here? And, and basically, we went through and we had about 25 different things and we had ranked them. At the very top was the thing that was easiest for us to do. And then at the very bottom was the thing that would be like impossible for us to do. The thing that, you know, we're just not going to be good at. We're not going to be able to do. We're, we're not going to accomplish very well. Hang on one sec. I'm kind of moving this screen. So here we go. All right. So imagine this like long list of post-it notes, right? Then he did something that just changed everything for me. He said, okay, of these things now, and you've got from the easiest to hardest, which of these matters the most? Which of these will have the biggest impact on us meeting our mission? And again, he went through it post-it note by post-it note and said, you know, is this going to be, you know, have bigger impact than this or, or less impact than this? And we ranked every single one uh, in the horizontal based on how effective it would be, how much difference it would make, how much it would help us fulfill our mission and what we were trying to do. After this exercise... We took like an hour and a half. It took like this ridiculously long time because we debated each one and we, we, you know, got into the nuance and went back and forth. After we were done, imagine like, a, you know, four quadrants. 
And in the upper right quadrant, you had this magical list of things that we do well that actually matter. And I said, that is what I was put on this earth to do, right? That, that is what strong towns needs to be. It was this magical moment, right? Because all the other things that we had struggled to do, all the other things that we had talked about, that we had debated back and forth, that, you know, many of them were things that I had pushed for. Like I came to that meeting in June saying, I really want to do this. I'll give you one of them, community organizing, I can't tell you how many people have told us we need to do community organizing. You need to get local chapters. You need to get people out at council meetings. You need to train them. You need to organize them. Um, what we found is that that might be pretty effective. I mean, that is actually a, a really good strategy, but we're not any good at it. And we certainly don't have the resources and, and, and don't have like a reasonable path to building up the resources with the skills we have in the next few years, you know, to be able to do that in any way that's going to be effective. So great strategy and great idea, but not well aligned with who we are and what we do. Here's what made the list. And I, I, I we put what made the list into a strategic plan and it really has three broad categories. The broad categories are we're, we're really good at creating powerful content, sharing that message widely, and then nudging people to take action. And I'll read you the, the 11 programs that we said we're going to do in that matrix, create powerful content. We're going to uh, expand our content stream. We're going to continue to do the curbside chat program. We're going to go out and give talks and, and engage with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, in communities. We're going to run issue campaigns. And if you remember the Black Friday parking thing, we got issue campaigns coming up all year round this year. It's going to be fantastic. And then we're going to aggregate content. Uh, we're going to package and repackage our content in ways that accelerate the distribution of our message, increase that velocity. Um, so that, that's what we're doing under creating content. Under sharing our message, uh, we're going to do public relations. And we actually hired someone who's good at this, who's going to help us, who's been helping us. We're going to do advertising, which it, it just seemed like bizarre to me, like advertising. But we have been actually paying for advertising for the last couple of months. And it, it has been astounding in terms of our ability to share our message with a broader audience and, and accelerate the sharing of our message. Um, we're going to target key influencers. So we're going to look for people who uh, are interested in our message and have a lot of overlap that, that have a, a ability to influence others. And then we're going to hold what we call issue summits, the idea that we're going to get people together to talk about specific issues and make essentially events out of them as a way to share our message. In nudging people to action, we're going to support our members. Um, as obvious as it sounds and, and you know, as clear as we kind of had a desire to do it until we hired Jason Schaefer and made a commitment to do that, we, we really weren't doing a very good job of it. And so we said, all right, we're, we're going to have someone who's going to be dedicated all the day, all the time uh, to supporting our members. Um, we're now doing that. Uh, we're going to start a, a follow-up campaign for a curbside chat. And I've got an exciting announcement I'm hoping to be able to make on the blog in the next week or two about uh, some money that we're going – we've gotten in a grant. I hope it looks like it's going to work out uh, to help us kind of accelerate that and be really a model for things we can do around the country. And then 
the the final program is meetup groups. We're going to assist people in initiating local conversations. We're we're not going to try to do community organizing. Uh, we're not going to try to mobilize people on the ground. I think there's other people who do that really well. But what we are going to do is is give people a, a way to get together and, and talk about our ideas and put our ideas, the strong towns ideas, into the, the local conversation. This is who we are. And, you know, when, when we set this out, uh, it, it, it just made my life, like I said, the purpose of my life became clear. It was like, wow, um, I feel incredibly focused. And, you know, this is an organization that I think can accomplish a lot. Now, it's funny because this week on the blog, uh, we had this back and forth conversation and, and, and someone, and I, they were using a pseudonym, it doesn't really matter anyway, made the point, Strong Towns doesn't do anything besides, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he said, your high word count. What do you actually do? You don't do anything. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, coming from the world of consulting, in a sense, uh, and, and one of the reasons I mentioned earlier, I wasn't keen on starting a nonprofit is because I saw nonprofits as not doing anything. Um, a lot of the nonprofits I worked with had these like bizarre budgets, budgets like far bigger than anything I ever had worked with. And I would look back and I'd say, well, what did you actually accomplish? And I didn't see anything that they would accomplish. Um, now, I don't know if that was because I was myopic and didn't really see and understand what they were doing, or maybe they weren't doing <laughs> anything. Um, I'll say a couple of the ones that I work real closely with are not around anymore. So that might be an indication that they weren't really doing much, but you know, I, I, I step back and I, I look and I say, okay, what does strong towns do? Um, you know, this is what we do, right? We create powerful content. We share a message widely. We nudge people to take action. We are trying to create demand for a different way of doing things, right? We are trying to change the entire national dialogue on growth and development. We are trying to inject a powerful set of ideas into the debate, a, a set of ideas that really, once they're there, cannot be ignored. We're trying to inject those ideas into debates and conversations all around the country so that we get a different set of outcomes. There's so many people out there doing things, right? organizing people, doing projects, uh, doing consulting. Uh, we're not good at that. We've done some of it. I, I can't say that I'm, you know, I'm not a good consultant, right? I did it for 20 years. I, I, I could survive in that world. But the special thing that we're really good at is sharing this message, right? The special thing that we're really good at is crafting a message that is nonpartisan, is nonpolitical, uh, is a, it appeals to a broad segment of the population, is able to be shared and, and, and put into people's own words in their own communities. It's a message that makes logical sense. It's a message that is, um, not controversial, really. It, it is, it is a really, really powerful message of change. And, and, when we put this stuff up on the board, I realize that that's what we do, right? That's what we need to do. That's the thing that we can have the greatest impact on. Here's the thing that's kind of cool about it. As we went through and, and started talking about, okay, here's what we're going to do. We got 11 programs. How are we going to pay for this, right? 
Because <laughs> part, you know, part of the part of the thing that we were doing uh, that we decided at that first board meeting in December of of 2014 that we weren't going to do is no more grants for consulting, right? No more consulting gigs. Period. I mean, the board actually said that they actually passed a motion like we're not going to do this anymore. And so this money that we had had coming in that kind of kept us afloat, that had kept things going, uh, dried up, like went away. We stopped going after it. We stopped doing that. And so you know, we had to add some serious questions about, okay, if this is what we're going to do, and it doesn't include kind of the low hanging fruit money that comes from some of these other things that we were doing, you know, foundation calls us up, wants us to go out to this place. Uh, sure. We'll go do that. Uh, you know, city calls us up. Hey, we got this problem. We'll pay you to come here and do this. Yeah, we'll go do that. Those were things that paid the bills really nicely. Right. So now we've got these 11 programs about creating content and sharing content and nudging people to take action. And the question was, how in the heck do we pay for this? Like, how does this equate into a, a revenue stream? And of course, there's major donors, right? Uh, there's uh, foundations. But, you know, developing that kind of stuff takes a lot of time. And we don't have a ton of people. Right? We, we can't – I can't fly around the country and do donor meetings all the time even if I was good at them, which I'm not, uh, you know, it's, it's really not what we're kind of set up to do. Foundations. I I love, you know, I have some relationships with some really good foundations and there's someone that I, I really like and respect, but foundation in general, um, I'll say this in like a kind way they're so difficult. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, foundations, uh, get inundated. Let me, let me be generous. A foundation giving away money gets inundated with requests to give away money, right? They just get pounded all the time. And so what they do is they create up these – they create like these firewalls, right? Here's the process you go through. A lot of them have done a really good job of making that process easy so you don't have to you know, spend all kinds of time and effort filling out applications only to get a form letter rejection. But still, they kind of insulate themselves. And, and what it winds up to be in the foundation game a, a lot of times is who do you know? Who do you have a relationship with? Well – <laughs> you know, I spent 60 days on the road last year doing curbside chats and other talks, sharing our message. Uh, you know, we do 15 blog posts a week, a high percentage of which I write. I do two podcasts a week. You know, where in the world do we have the time to go build up relationships slowly over time with foundations to fund this thing, right? Maybe over a long period of time, we can build some of those up. But we're not doing that on a dime, right? That's not, that's not going to happen tomorrow. So you step back and you look at it and you say, well, what, what, what do we have? Well, we have demand for you know, us to go speak at places and do events. And you know, right now I'm booked through uh, March, April. I know we've got you know, things scheduled in, in September and October. Um, you know, we're trying to cut back the number of days I'm on the road because I, I, I've, I've got other things I've been doing now. But, um, you know, we have a huge amount of demand for us to come and do events but because they're incredibly effective, right? They really, really move the bar in a place to a large degree with, with you know, a, a, a good targeted engagement. The other thing we've got is our members, right? We, we have all these people out there who have said, we believe in your message enough. We believe in what you're doing. We want to see you succeed at these 11 programs you're doing. We want you to create content and share it and, and nudge people to take action. This is what we want to see happen. And so we're willing to support you. We're actually willing to give you a, a, a donation 
and become a member of your organization to see this happen. It's an incredibly powerful thing. What we stepped back and we realized is that the success of our organization uh, is actually kind of a self-fulfilling kind of thing. If, if we are successful as an organization, we are going to, through our membership program, uh, actually have the resources to do the things we're trying to do, right? It's just kind of a, a, a give and take. It's a little back and forth, right? We're not going to do everything now today that we've got in the hopper that we would like to do. Uh, but, you know, what we found is that uh, our membership growth is, is keeping up with our program growth. And, you know, as each of them grows incrementally over time or actually in kind of a, a, an exponential way over time, uh, what we're finding is that these two things are perfectly aligned, right? Our membership and our mission. If we are meeting our mission, we're going to see our membership grow. If we're not meeting our mission by spreading our message and, and having it reach more and more people and get to a, a million people who care enough about our message to share it with others, then our membership's not going to grow and, and we're not going to have the revenue, right? We're going to have to figure out how to make our message grow in a better way. I love this challenge. I really do. I, I love it because it's clear to me what success looks like, right? Success looks like our message impacting the debate everywhere. And success, if, if we are successful at that, we will have all the resources we need to do great things. Does that mean we don't need donors? No, that's not what that means. Does that mean we don't need foundation support? No, we're working with foundations and, and we hope to use, you know, the, 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 the resources from uh, generous donors and foundations to help us kind of accelerate and transition to kind of different levels of success, right? But the core of what we do, the core of what our kind of success is going to be is sharing this message and having people react to it in such a way that they say, Gosh, this is really important, and I want to be part of it. Here's why I'm obsessing about this, and and you know I'm, we're 41 minutes in here now. I'm finally getting to <laughs> what I'm obsessed about. We, the board uh, set out a bunch of things they wanted me to do, starting last July, right? And we did all those things and more, right? They set out some short-term goals. They set out some things we wanted to accomplish. We did all that. We, we did all that. We actually had, and I, I told, you know, getting together, I, I told a couple of them, we're going to have just a, a, at least one session in this two-and-a-half-day board meeting where we're just going to have like a victory lap, right? We're going to turn on the music and do a little dance, and, and everybody's going to get down because, because we, got, we got a lot to celebrate. We, we did really great in the things we set out to do. Now, here's the catch. The things we set out to do is like the first step, right? Like we have to get to a, a running pace and, and we're now just taking the very first little infant steps on this new strategic plan. So we can celebrate, but we got so much to do, so much work to do. At the staff level, we're working at this frenetic pace, right? We just added a new staff member this week, uh, Yuri Artabisi. I hope, Yuri, that's how you say your last name. Um, Yuri and I met in, in uh, online a few years ago, and, and I met him in person in Vancouver. I'm going to have him on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. Fascinating guy, really going to help us a ton. 
Um, we've now added three new staff members since September. Um, four, when we count Michelle, which I can't forget Michelle Erford, our Pathfinder. So we've added four new people. We are rocking. I mean, at, at the staff level, we're working at a frenetic pace, doing stuff that, that is exactly aligned with the strategic plan. It seems like we have so much energy and so much going on. But I'm walking to this board meeting, and the job in this board meeting is to look out even further, right? To look out a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and ask some really hard questions. Like, like what, what comes next? You know, you're working at this frenetic pace today, but you've got some frenetic goals, right? You've, you've got goals that are exponential from where you're at now. You, you want to reach a million people who care about your message. How in the world are you going to do that, right? That's, that's not adding a handful of people here and a handful of people there. That's exponential growth, right? How are you going to accomplish that, right? What are the obstacles in the way? What, what are we not considering? What are some of the things that are going to sink us a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? How do we test? How do we probe uncertainty, right? In the, the Nassim Taleb nomenclature that I like to use. How do we, how do we probe uncertainty? How do we figure out the path to get to where we want to go? These are big, big picture issues. And, and when you're dealing with this stuff in the trenches, day after day after day, and you're working at this frenetic pace and you've got this campaign, you know, I've been recording podcasts all week, right? You're not going to get into those podcasts for like two or three weeks from now because that's how we roll now, right? We're, we're programmed way ahead of schedule. Uh, unlike, you know, me who's, who's used to operating kind of by the seat of, you know, by the, uh, on the fly, right? I was just going to mix about four metaphors together or four cliches together. Um, you know, you, you're used to me. Now we got like programming. We are like out ahead, right? So I'm interviewing people that you're going to hear like three weeks from now, right? When we run a campaign on an issue and you're going to get a bunch of podcasts in a row for some really great people talking about a specific set of topics. That's new. That's new for us. That's exciting, right? But this board meeting, the thing I've been jonesing about, the thing I've been obsessing about is what is this long-term picture? What comes next, right? What is the, what is the big thing? The, there's a there's a Don Rumsfeld quote that is classic, and it's it's classic Rumsfeld. And and you could be cynical of Rumsfeld. That's fine. Um, the guy's brilliant in many ways. Uh, his brilliance was also his downfall in many ways. Um, he he made a statement during the uh, the the last Gulf War. You know, you have known knowns, you have known unknowns, and then you have unknown unknowns. And, you know, it's a typical Rumsfeldism, right? Like, what does that really mean? Well, it means there's, there's, there's things you know, uh, there's things that, you know, you know that you don't know, right? And then there's these things that you don't know you don't know, the things that are going to nip you in the butt. Now, you can look at Rumsfeld and say, how did you not know, <laughs> you know, what would happen? Uh, I don't want to go there. I think as an organization, Strong Towns, we have a lot of things that we know, right? We have a lot of things that we know and understand. We have, we have a, a number of things that we know we don't quite get, right? And one of the conversations we're going to have this weekend is about, uh, you know, expanding our board or new board members or what new, uh, you know, additional advisors would look like. And there's a lot of key areas uh, of our conversation and where our conversation is headed that's not represented on our board today. And the question is, you know, how do we get exposed to these ideas? How do we get that expertise? How do we, how do we make that knowledge and understanding part of our dialogue? That's a, that's a, that's a really tough question to, to answer, right? 
But that's an easier question than the, the last one. You know, what are the unknown unknowns? What are the things that you don't know? And you don't know that you, you don't know it. You know, what are, what are these things that are going to come up and bite you in the future that you just haven't thought of? And, th- you know, having that conversation, it's like a, it's like a spa for my brain, right? Um, you know, we're, we're running around at this frenetic pace. We're doing all this stuff. You know, the, the, the world kind of narrows up when you're, when you're working day to day with a, a team like we've got now uh, on all this. It's very exciting. It, it's very energizing. Uh, but I miss the kind of days when I could just sit back and, and let my mind wander and think about things. This weekend is a little bit about doing that. And I am obsessing, obsessing, obsessing about what comes next obsessing about how we accomplish these goals, obsessing about how we take this podcast audience of 12,000 and make it a hundred thousand, right? That's, that's, that, those are the kind of things we need to do if we actually want to get to the next level. I can tell you how we won't do it. We won't do it by having me sitting here at, uh, <laughs> at one in the morning, putting together podcasts, right? Hey, um, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this. Thanks for the feedback from last week. Um, I really do appreciate it. You guys take care and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. If you're in Santa Rosa, I'll see you next week. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a start. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.